All right. Good morning. Get your Bibles out. We're in Matthew 5. We're taking a look at family values. Family values. We, we worked on this two weeks ago. Last week, we just didn't get around to the message. Other things were on my heart and my mind, and I think the Holy Spirit just took it a different direction. Is that okay if sometimes that happens? That's good, because that means I had an easy week this week. I didn't have to prepare again. It's awesome. So we're in Matthew 5. We're taking a look at something called boldness. And I asked that question a few minutes ago about how many of you just are terrified at the thought of, like, you know, doing things. Um, Some of you, by nature, are very bold individuals. You know, Megan, by nature, is bold. She will go up to someone, anyone, everyone, for any reason, at any time of the day, and just say what needs to be said. You know, me, it takes me like two weeks to work up the courage to do something because I'm an introvert, you know, Boldness, biblically speaking, this is what we're talking about. All these family values, you know, these are, these are what, we, what we want to describe the King's Church family. So this isn't a personality trait. This is a biblical, a biblical value, a biblical trait. So boldness, biblically speaking, is not a personality trait. I want to give you the definition right here, and I'll repeat it three or four times. It is courageous action. Say it with me. Courageous action. Y'all are not saying it with me. Okay, let's do it. You're going to repeat first. Courageous action fueled by an urgent conviction. Now we're going to say it all together. Boldness is courageous action fueled by urgent conviction. So it's two things. It's an outward action that's courageous, but it's also an inner urgency and an inner conviction that causes us to act in certain ways. You with me on that? And if you look at some of, many of the heroes of the faith in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, you can see so many, of the, so many of the times that these individuals, these men and women both, they just exercised this idea of biblical boldness. You know, I think of Moses. Moses was, first of all, Moses really was not, he would not be what, what you would consider bold. By his own admission, he stuttered when he would speak. He hated to kind of be up there and be confrontational. But God said, no, Moses, you're the one to go to Pharaoh. You're the one to be bold. You're the one to take courageous action. And he did. And he goes up and he gets in Pharaoh's face. And just like Charlton Heston, let my people go. Just like that, right? In that low voice. You know, I think of David. We, we, we preached on this several weeks ago. You know, David, this young boy who is more comfortable with sheep and goats and things out in the pasture. But the next thing you know, God gets a hold of him and he's going face to face with this champion named Goliath when all the people around him are quaking in their armor. And David takes courageous action because he's fueled by this inner conviction. You know, I think of the three Hebrew youths, those three young men you know, we call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's not their Hebrew names. And nobody knows where they're Hebrew. I mean, we don't know. It. They have names. But, but think about their boldness in, in, in standing up in front of Nebuchadnezzar. And, and, and the culture around them is, is, is falling away. And they say, Nebuchadnezzar, even if God does not deliver us, even if he doesn't do this, we're never going to bow down. That's boldness. That's not a personality trait. That's a biblical, that's a, that's a, that, that's biblical boldness. You know, think of somebody like Esther. 
That's a beautiful story. When the fate of her, the fate of the Jewish people were largely resting in her hands and her uncle comes to her and says, Esther, you've got to go and you've got to go into the king. You've got to plead for the, for, the, for the survival of our people. And he says, maybe for such a time of this you have been raised up. And she does. In boldness, she goes in. Courageous action fueled by inner conviction. And there's some kind of, there's some, some kinds of boldness that they do. They make me nervous because it's not my personality type. You know, like I, I, I sometimes will watch uh, like these YouTube videos. I love watching these YouTube videos of street evangelists, you know. Like in my day, it was guys like Ray Comfort. I think he's still doing stuff. But now you can get videos of, of guys like Todd White. You ever watch Todd White, these videos of Todd White? He's this evangelist. Like he's got, you know, he's a white dude, but he's got like dreads down to here, you know. And he is just, oh my word, he's so bold. He'll just go up to anybody and just begin to, just to minister and to talk to them and just in love and in compassion, you know, just to, and that makes me nervous, not because it's wrong, but because it's not my personality type, you know? The thought of going up to perfect strangers and doing evangelism just, ah. but I want, I don't know, I want biblical boldness. I want this. Whatever, whatever the Bible says, it talks about, I want that. I want that. I want, I want to be able to take courageous action whenever it's needed. I want to take courageous action, and I want to have that inner conviction that fuels it. So how do we get that? I, and I'm looking at this, and I'm noticing it comes from several different places in Scripture. Where, does, where boldness comes from? First of all, it does come from a supernatural anointing. I think often, sometimes the Holy Spirit will come upon a person or a people, and people that before were timid all of a sudden begin walking in power and boldness. Acts, the early church in Acts is one of those. You know, just several chapters before, Peter was denying Jesus and saying, I have no idea. I, I, I don't know who this guy is. And all the disciples were running away and hiding. All, the next thing you know, after Pentecost, all of a sudden, the disciples are boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God. And they're getting in trouble for it. They're getting chastised. They're getting brought in before all the rulers. And you know what the next thing? So after, basically, after they're, 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 they're publicly, you know, uh, reprimanded by these rulers, they go back to their prayer closet. You know what they pray for the very next day? Lord, give us boldness. That's what they're praying for. It's like, who does that? I'd be like praying for a break. Lord, please get these people off of my back. But no, these guys go and they say, Lord, give us more boldness. And it does it. And the Holy Spirit just gets poured out more and more and more. They pray, Lord, enable your servants to speak with great boldness. So it comes from supernatural anointing. Sometimes it is, sometimes it really is an overflow of our personality. God has made us different. God's made Megan different than I am. And that's okay. One is not better than the other. All of us are needed. We're all different. The introverts are needed. The extroverts are needed. The loud, prophetic, bold voices are needed. So are the quiet, encouraging types. One is not better than the other. But sometimes, boldness is an overflow of our personality. Sometimes it's born out of desperation or crisis. There's nothing like running into something that is an absolute train wreck that causes you to rise up in boldness. So we're going to look at a couple of those this morning or one of those this morning. But whatever it is, it's always courageous action fueled by an urgent conviction. So let me give you this. Here's the key to cultivating boldness. The more urgent the conviction, the more courageous the action. 
I'll say it again. The more urgent the conviction, the more courageous the action. In other words, we become bold when we actually believe that something is possible. Let me give you two stories on boldness from the Gospel of Matthew. They're very, very similar. And I don't, I don't hear much about this first story very often, but I absolutely love it. It's in Matthew chapter 20. It's a story of a mother. It's a mother that we never hear anything else about. We don't know her name. We don't know much about her at all. We know her sons. Her sons are two of Jesus' disciples, you know. They're, um, they're, 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 they're two of the ones that are handpicked to kind of help him uh, lead and do ministry. But we don't know much about their mom. This is the only time we see her. But I want to read this to you in Matthew 20, beginning in verse 20. It's up here on the screen too. So listen to this with this idea of boldness in mind. And it may not connect with you right away, but I, let, it, let it simmer for just a minute after I read it. Okay, it says this. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Verse 22, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered, they being the sons, James and John. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and that their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that's it. That's just a real quick story. But I want you to notice a couple things about her. First of all, notice, notice her identity. It just simply says this. She is the mother of these two sons. She's the mother of, it doesn't even have her own name, really. It's not even given attention to that whatsoever. Notice her posture. This is interesting, too. It says that she comes to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down. She's in this posture of worship. She's in this posture of, of humility before the Lord. I think that's an important thing to pay attention to. And notice her request. What does she want, by the way? Does she want something that's, that's unreasonable? How many of you want good things for your kids? I do. How many of you want them, how many, how many of you want your kids to be as close to Jesus as possible? Right? Is it so unreasonable of this woman to be asking this? I know we kind of throw it under the bus, like, oh, that's so shameful. Oh, that's so, Im that's so improper, you know? But she's really not asking, she's not asking for something so terrible. She just says, she sees in her sons, look, there's so much potential here. These, these guys are, these, these sons of mine, they are, they're made for great things, and I know they are, and that great thing is to be next to you, Jesus. Can one sit over here and one sit over there? And I think about that. I, I want that for my kids, you know? I want them to be so close to the heart of God that, 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 that the things that Jesus is doing, my kids are doing too. 
that the way Jesus is reigning and, 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 and sort of exercising authority, I want my kids to be walking side by side with him doing the same thing. I think it's a reasonable request. And Jesus' answer is both yes and no. It's, it's interesting. You know, he kind of says, well, can, can you really drink of this cup? In other words, can you really go down the road that I'm about to go down? Because to sit in the th- seat of authority and power and, 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 and honor means first we go to the cross. If you want to be a leader, it means first we are servants. We are the least of the, the, least, of the least and the last of the last. And he says, actually, it's not, it's not up for me to decide who sits where. But let me tell you a little bit about servant leadership. And he goes on to give an example. and give, He gives, a, gives a, a teaching moment there. But I, want to, I don't want to zero too much on the end. I just want to talk about her boldness in asking. And I got to tell you, I don't think it's quite so terrible. She had this urgent, this urgent conviction that her sons were meant for something great. And she had the nerve to ask. Because I promise you all 10, <laughs> I promise you all 10 wanted the same thing. All 10 were wondering, I wonder if I can sit next to Jesus. I've got more leadership skills. I've got a better personality type. I've done more miracles. I've spent more time in prayer than this person over here. Shouldn't I be on the list? Shouldn't I be over here? None of them had the, none of them had the boldness to ask, but she did. She goes and she says, Jesus, I've got to ask. I'll let, let my sons be with you. That's boldness. And I love it. Let, let, me, let me show you another one, though. Another story. Another mother. Right? Different kind of request. Same kind of boldness. It's in Matthew 15. Flip over here, if you will. Beginning in verse 21. Leaving that place... Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Let me pause right there. Notice her, what is her identity? Doesn't have a name. She's a mother. She's got a daughter. She wants something for her daughter. Says she's a Canaanite woman. In other words, she's not Jewish. She's not part of this God's chosen people. She's not part of the elect. She's not part of God's family. And she's not part of the the ones that really Jesus initially came for. She's an outsider. She doesn't have a right to come in and approach this well-known, respected rabbi. This is so improper of her. First of all, she's not only a candidate, she's also a female to be coming and asking this. But look at, look at, so you, that's her idea. Look at, look at her request, or look at her posture. Crying out, Lord, Son of David. The other story in Mark says that she falls down at his feet, begging him. Look at her request. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. I've never had a child that's what I would be considered being demon possessed. There's certain episodes where I wonder if that is the case. But in a true sense of the word, fortunately, I've never had to face that. I've never had to face, honestly, any kind of chronic, life-threatening illness with any of my children. I know some of you have. Some of you have gone down that dark road. 
and it's black and it's oppressive. And this woman has been there. This woman is here now. And she knows that there is no hope left for her anywhere. And if I don't do something, I will lose my daughter for good. So she's willing to break these kind of social barriers. She's willing to ignore these social rules, and she's willing to press in. And here, this, uh, you know what I love about the Bible? The Bible does not hold back. And we as a church are not going to hold back either. When there are difficult things that Jesus says or does, we're not going to skip over those. I don't make apologies for Jesus. I don't make apologies for the hard things that he says. He's, he's big enough, he can, he can answer for those himself. But look at what he says. So you got this woman who's crying out in desperation to Jesus to heal her daughter. And it says this in 23, Jesus did not answer a word. And I hear that and I read that and I was like, gee, what? why? Jesus, where's your heart of compassion? Where's your heart of tenderness? I don't get this. I don't understand this. The Bible doesn't explain what he was thinking. All we know is that there is a no to this request. How many feel like God, whenever you ask something to the Lord, that Jesus does not answer? Anybody say, feel that way? Anybody felt that way this week? Besides me? Am I wrong? I feel like I'm in, I feel like I'm in the prayer room and I'm just asking God, Lord, listen, Jesus, you don't even have to say yes or no. Just, uh, just give me an answer, just one of them. Even if the answer is no, at least I'll know and I can move on. At least tell me what I need to know. Tell me what I need to do. You ever feel that Jesus sometimes just does not say a word? Where is God? Why is he not speaking? What am I not doing right? Am I not praying enough? Am I not fasting enough? Is there hidden sin in my life? Am I not going to church enough? Did I not tithe this week? Is that why? Jesus, is this why you're not answering? What's going on? We don't know. In this case, we don't know what it is. But she cries out, my daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And there is power in that sentence right there. She keeps crying out after us. You know what the disciples want to do? They want to just send her away. They don't, they, don't, they don't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you help her, please? Come on, Jesus. Have, have, have some heart, Jesus, all right? The poor daughter is suffering. They don't say that. They say, Jesus, come on. Would you shut her up and send her on home? Because we're so tired of being nagged to death. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Boy, it's harsh. In other words, lady, I didn't come for you. The things that I have are not for you. The power in my hands are not for you. The kingdom that I'm bringing and announcing right now, it's not for you. That hurts to hear that. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Ouch. This is insult upon insult. What's better, for God to say nothing or for God to call you a dog? Now, to be fair, 
in the ancient language that Jesus was actually speaking, he tempered this a little bit. He actually called her a little puppy. I don't know if that makes it better or not. He wasn't being quite so demeaning in this, but the point is still there. Jesus is saying no. No. We talk about that. Sometimes we kind of hear, Jesus never turned anyone down who wanted to be healed. That's simply not the case. Initially, right here, that is the case. Look what she says. Yes, Lord, she said. But even the dogs, even the puppies, get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And something in Jesus' heart shifts seismically. And he cannot ignore the boldness in the woman's ask. He cannot ignore the boldness, the courageous action that he sees in front of him. Can't ignore it. God cannot help but respond to desperation and boldness. He can't help it. It's like, it's, like, it's like God is like, okay, God, you know, this is really not the right thing to do, but I can't help it because my children are so desperate in their cry. Okay, fine, guys, here you go. That's the heart of God. We've always been taught God doesn't change his mind. That is not biblical whatsoever. God wants his mind to be changed by you and by our prayers and our intercession and in our boldness. God is waiting to change things. And Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Great faith. Great faith. Your request is granted. And the Bible says she goes home. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Boldness is birthed out of the urgent conviction that something is possible if I just ask. Not ask once. Okay, fine. God said no. Sorry. Go on my way. There's obstacles in the way. Boldness pushes through. Why? Because the desperation and the urgent conviction is so strong that at any cost, I must have breakthrough. So let me give you three takeaways for the King's Church family if we're going to live this out. Number one, first, first of all, I want, I want us to cultivate, cultivate urgent convictions. We don't have very many urgent convictions. I don't. I'll admit that. On, 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 my, on my worst day, I have zero urgent convictions. You know, like I'm, I barely kind of want to get out of bed and eat a snack and watch TV on my worst day. I'm not very urgently convicted about anything apart from the Spirit of God. But we need to cultivate those kind of urgent convictions. Where is God? What's he doing? How can I partner with him? What's going on in the world around me? Where does there need to be breakthrough? God, cultivate this urgent conviction inside of me of what you want to do. Water that, Lord God. Stir that up. Help me, Lord, to, begin, to get a vision for what you want to do in me and the people around me and the world around me. Cultivate urgent convictions. I believe if we walked around convinced of, the, of who God is and what he wants to do, this community would be a very different place if God's church began to live that way. 
If we were driven by conviction, this community and the, the, and the, the nation that we're in would be very different if we were people of conviction, if we were people of urgency. Second thing is this, ask, ask, and ask again. Ask, ask, and ask again. Many prayers are answered simply because of the boldness and the persistence of the one praying. How many of us give up when we hit a roadblock with a prayer? I do. How many of us spend two minutes interceding for something we need breakthrough in? No, God said no. His will be done. His wisdom is perfect. That's all true. But there is something about the persistence and the boldness of pressing into the heart of God. Just like the widow knocking on the door, let me in, open this up, open this up. I need it, I need help, I need breakthrough, I need answers. So Jesus talks about it. Knock and the door will be open to you. Seek and you will find. And the, the, the verb there is sort of this, do it now, but keep on doing it until something happens. Pray, but keep on praying. Ask, but keep on asking until you get an answer from the Lord doesn't mean that God is something to be manipulated. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand. I'm not, I'm not saying that God is something to be, to be manipulated. I'll talk about that here in a minute. That's not what I mean at all. I just mean that God cannot help but respond to boldness and persistence. Third thing is this. Practice immediate obedience to the Holy Spirit. Immediate obedience to the Holy Spirit. And don't confuse boldness with stubbornness. Don't confuse boldness with stubbornness. Stubbornness is insisting that God do it a certain way. That's not biblical boldness. That's stupidity. You're not going to get anywhere with that. That's stubbornness, stiff-necked, hard-hearted. God, you better do it this way. You better give me the breakthrough I want. It better look like this. That's just dumb, y'all. Because the final mark of biblical boldness is yielding. Press in. Press in hard, persevere, knock, ask, keep on doing it. But in the end, you're yielding to the sovereignty of God. The final mark of boldness is always yielding. Cultivate urgent convictions. Ask, ask, and ask again. Practice immediate obedience to the Holy Spirit. Whatever He does, do it. Whatever He says to do, do it. Brian, come on up here. Let me close with this. Some of the boldest people I know are my own children. Some of them are bold in personality. But all of them astonish me with how bold they can be in asking of Meg and I. And some of the things that they ask me for are pretty astonishing at times. Cohen, you, you literally just finished your food less than two minutes ago, and now you want a snack. And my jaw just drops to the floor. Like, you were complaining about your stomach hurting. Could you be excused? Your tummy was full. You're about to die. 
Not two minutes later you want a snack. Son, you are the definition of boldness. And it reminds me of this, that the courage to act and expect, hear me church, the courage to act and to expect comes from confidence in the relationship and the authority that my children have. You know what? My children have some authority in my home. They have confidence in my home. You know why my son has confidence to ask the most ridiculous things in the world? Because he is my son. It's beautiful to see this. Even if what they're wanting is so outlandish and I'll never in a million years give it to them, sometimes I find myself surprised at what I give in to. I find myself reaching for the snack jar two minutes later after dinner is done. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm responding to the boldness that my son is exercising. Not always, but I find myself giving in to things that probably on my own accord I would not give in to. Because the courage to act comes from confidence in the relationship. How can you exercise biblical boldness if you have no confidence that you are a son of God, that you are a daughter of God, that you have authority as sons and daughters of God? You can't. You're not really sure. Who am I to ask for these? Who who am I to press in and ask for good things? Who am I to ask God to give breakthrough in my life? Why does he care about me? But those who are sons and daughters realize that I I have every right in the world to ask great things of the Father. I have every confidence in the world to ask and expect great things of my Father because He is my Father and He loves me and He wants good things for me. And He responds in kindness when I press in and I cry out in desperation. The courage to act comes from confidence in the relationship. So I want to ask this. Would you guys stand up with me? We don't do this very often. It's okay. A lot of things we don't do very often around here. I like it. Keep you on your toes. I want to do this. Would you, can we, can we kind of like, you know, put our heads like down, like duck our, you know, duck our heads down and just close our eyes. I just kind of want to, I want you to be with, with the Lord and my voice here just for a minute. So this is what I sense the Lord is saying, and, and somebody else confirmed this earlier. Do you have confidence Do you, beloved, have confidence in your relationship with the Father? You have confidence that you're a son, that you're a daughter of the King. You've been bought at a price. You belong to Him. His Spirit is inside of you. You're walking in faithfulness and righteousness. Maybe not perfectly. I'm not talking about that. But your heart belongs to Him. And His heart belongs to you. Do you have confidence in that relationship? I want to ask this. If, any, if, you, if you can sort of say, look, you know, I, I do have confidence in that. 
I do have confidence in my relationship. I want to ask you just to slowly stick your hand up. Our eyes are closed. No one's watching you except me. It's all right. If you have that, if you have confidence in your relationship with the Father. All right, then put your hands down. If you don't, today you can. If you've never said yes to the family of God, if you've never said yes to Jesus, today is a beautiful day to do that because it opens up a whole door into the kingdom of God for you. Talk a lot about this boldness. That and many things belong to you inside of the kingdom. I got to tell you, the kingdom is not a secret club for those that are really good people. In fact, it's kind of a wide open, messy club for really bad people who have been loved much and forgiven of much. So if you got it all together, then the kingdom is not for you. If you don't have it all together, you don't have confidence, you don't have peace in your life, you don't have a surety of salvation. Friend, let today be your day. I want to pray for you about that. Megan will pray for you. Chuck will pray for you. We'll pray for you here at the front. I want to give you that invitation. We're going to sing here in a minute. Brian's going to lead us in that. I just want to, if, 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 you, did, if you didn't raise your hand and it's sort of like that's where you are, and I'm, I'm, I'm nearsighted, so I can't really see, so I'm not going to call anybody out, right? This is between you and the Lord. But if we can pray for you, and I'll, I'll pray here in a minute too, but I'd love to pray with you in, in person or Megan or Chuck to pray with you in person as well. But new life can be yours if it's not, if, if you haven't, if you don't have that confidence. New life can be yours. It can be. It's here. It's available. Today is the day of salvation, says the word. So I'll give that invitation to you. When we sing, I'd love to pray with you. I want to pray here again in a minute. If you just, you look, you don't have the boldness to come forward, it's okay. I want you to pray in your seat where you are. If you've got some physical needs that we can pray for, any healings that we can pray for this morning, I want, you, I want to invite you to come and receive prayer for that as well. Let me give a couple words of knowledge that we have from some of our people on our prayer team. Um, one word simply says this, um, inheritance. I don't know what that means. We just feel like the Lord is saying that to somebody. Number two, calamities are not from me, but from an adversary. If you've been facing some of these kind of calamities, you need to be encouraged. This is not from the Lord. This is from the enemy who prowls around like a lion seeking whom he may destroy. Number three, colon cancer will be healed. You or someone you love have that? We want to pray for that this morning. Number four, someone's mother has betrayed them. Do not fret. I'm working for her good as well as yours. That hurts. Finally, I'm canceling renal failure. I believe that the Lord wants to heal that. 